0: Anyone who has ever been my boss, my teacher, my coach, or in any other appointed leadership role in my life can soak in the irony today that I have been assigned the responsibility of preaching on Peter's words regarding submission. I have to confess, this has been a challenge for me, not because I am a free-thinking individual, some would call that stubborn, but because in our Western 21st century mindset, I think we far too often and far too simplistically conceive of submission as passivity or weakness or loss. Rarely do our news feeds tout those who submit as heroes or exemplary role models. More often than not, just the opposite is true. We celebrate and we elevate those in our culture who resist the powers that be, no matter the means or the medium, and who win the day. And yet, Scripture speaks quite a lot about submission, doesn't it? Certainly, in the person of Jesus Christ, we have an example the epitome of submission for the sake of others. And so I've started to wonder if our confusion regarding this virtue in the Christian life stems at least in part from seasons and situations in church history and Christianity as a whole where we have misused or abused submission, where we have institutionally and collectively contributed to this idea that submission is something to be avoided, something negative. Now, having said that, I wanna speak plainly right from the get-go this morning because certainly in recent days, we have been made well aware once again that there are injustices and inequities in this world that we as Christians are called and compelled to rise up and stand against. And I wanna encourage us to stay in those conversations and in that journey that will lead us to rectifying and reconciling these wrongs. The last thing I want anyone to hear this morning from this consideration of the role of submission in the Christian life is that we are supposed to just roll over and take whatever comes from whoever is in charge. There could be nothing further from the truth. This is where the wrestling is for me in this text and this subject because in this world where it seems we so quickly turn to obstinance and vitriol as power moves, And at a time in our history where so many are feeling vulnerable and violated, I have had to do some really hard question asking of God this week, wondering what role does submission play in my life as a Christian living in these troubled times? I'm very much still in this journey, friends. And so today, as we embark on this consideration together, I wanna ask you to join me in a word of prayer. Gracious and most holy God, we know that your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our paths, but we confess, God, that so often there are situations and circumstances that are hard to rectify with your word, hard to understand how your word speaks into our present situation. So would you quicken our hearts and our minds by the power of your Holy Spirit this morning, that we might be changed by our encounter with you and then reflect your likeness in greater and greater ways to the world that you've called us to live in. This is our heart's desire. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus, our example and our Lord. Amen. Well, there are certainly a number of ways that we could tackle the topic of submission in the Christian life. Personally, I find talking about submission not that difficult, but we all know it's way easier to embrace submission conceptually than it is to live it out. It gets tricky when we start to imagine what our lives will look like when we submit to one another and to the authorities that are placed over us. But this is the kind of holistic nature of submission that Peter is addressing in the text we just heard read. So I think it's especially important that we understand the context into which these words were originally written. Peter's letters we believe were intended for the first century church in Rome for professing Christians who were living under the rule and authority of Nero, arguably one of the Roman world's most cruel and ruthless leaders. Nero's reign was defined by a complete disregard for humanity. He was known for his extravagant expenditures within the city limits of Rome, which often left those living outside of the city impoverished and oppressed. And Nero made no bones about his disregard for Christianity. Tertullian, an early church father, deemed Nero the first official persecutor of Christians. And we believe that Nero was responsible for the execution of both the Apostle Paul and Peter himself, along with many, many others. Nero was a ruthless and heinous leader. He supposedly ordered the killing of his own mother because she got in the way of his self-serving pursuits. And it is widely believed that Nero was responsible for the burning of Rome in 64 AD because he didn't care for the city's architecture or design. And he wanted to start again and do it in his own manner. So this probably wasn't the most reasonable guy you've ever met. Nevertheless, this is the landscape into which Peter's instructions on submission to the first century church were received, so I cannot imagine this would have been an easy pill to swallow, not only because these were just incredibly difficult circumstances, but because Peter's instructions were aimed at an even higher and more difficult target than the injustices of Nero's rule and reign. He was focused intently on the eternal mission to which the church was called, not just coaching his team on holy living or how to be faithful in a culture that was less than pleasant or cordial. He was teaching these people, instructing them on how to stay alive, reminding them, the church, that they were small and just getting started and that their continued presence in Rome was the vehicle by which the faith would grow and be shared These believers needed to stay alive in order to pass along their understanding of Christ and his kingdom to another generation. And that wasn't going to happen if they were standing on the street corners, evangelizing and proselytizing because Nero would have just slaughtered them as sport. I don't say that to be graphic, but because as hard as it may be for us to talk about submission today, given our current cultural landscape you can begin to appreciate how difficult it must have been for folks living in Nero's Rome to receive these words, can't you? I know I found myself this week rereading Peter's words and thinking, how on earth could these first century Christians who are living under this kind of tyranny and oppression ever accept this counsel and advice from Peter? Peter? He wasn't living there with them. So why on earth would they follow his advice on submission when day in and day out, they were navigating a culture and leaders who were so obviously against them? That led me to ask, why should we 2,000 years later heed this advice given our present circumstance and situation? And it occurred to me at that point that these instructions, this counsel was not merely guidance given by someone in appointed church leadership. This was lived wisdom imparted by someone who had been taught shaped and formed in his own journey of faith, walking with Jesus and learning firsthandedly the role submission plays in truly becoming like Christ. And so this helped me receive Peter's counsel in a different light. Think about it. Peter's entire journey with Christ began with a call to submission. You might remember this story, but Peter, who was a vocational fisherman, had spent the entire night out on his boat and come up empty handed. And just as he's bringing in his boat for the day, ready to call it quits, Jesus calls to him from the lake shore and says, Peter, give it one more try. I can only imagine how exhausted and frustrated Peter must have been at this point. And now he's probably a little exasperated too at this person who's calling to him from far away, a cheerleader saying, one more time. Anybody who knew anything about fishing in this day understood that if the fish weren't biting at night when it was cool and dark and quiet... They certainly weren't going to flood the nets as the sun was rising, beating down on the water. And as there were noisy crowds chattering along the lakeshore, those who had come to hear Jesus' teaching, no way. And yet in spite of everything Peter understood about fishing and everything he did not yet understand about this person encouraging him to cast his nets one more time, Peter decides not to rock the boat. Pun intended. He follows this guy's instructions, and this is not insignificant, friends, because remember at this point, Peter doesn't yet really know who Jesus is. So this was no moment of submitting to God incarnate. This was simply one man yielding to the advice of another, a fellow human and teacher And in this response, Peter reminds us that so often we are asked to submit to a cause and a calling long before we understood and understand the greater picture of what God desires to accomplish in and through our actions. So just like Peter, I imagine the first century church would have had no way of knowing what their willingness to submit as they were being instructed to do in Peter's words would ultimately accomplish They had no way of understanding that their faithfulness in heeding Peter's advice would impact our knowledge and our understanding of the gospel here today, that generations of the church would be born as a result of their faithfulness. And I wonder if some of us find ourselves in a slightly similar place today. God is and has been nudging us to take steps in righting the wrongs of our world, asking us to stand up for truth and justice in perhaps seemingly small and incomplete ways. And we don't have the master plan of how our faithfulness in these small things will matter, but we're charged nonetheless to respond and to submit to God's calling one step at a time. A second truth about submission that we learn from Peter's interactions with Christ is that while the world is full of oppression and injustice, we have to choose the battles we will fight carefully. Now, inevitably, that's going to rub some of you the wrong way. But can we just agree for a moment that as human beings, we seem to be really easily offended? Sometimes I have trouble knowing what really matters anymore because it seems everything is important and significant. And yet in Peter's words to the church at Rome, I think we're reminded that there are some battles worth taking on, but there are others that don't really merit our engagement. And where we run into problems, especially with our credibility, is when we try and fight every battle that comes our way and all at the same intensity level. Again, we see this played out in Peter's engagement with Jesus. I have long been fascinated uh, with the account that Matthew records, the, the account between Peter and Jesus that Matthew records in chapter 17 of his gospel. We read that one day the Pharisees are just kind of hanging out in Peter's front yard, they're waiting for something. And Peter arrives home only to be engaged by the Pharisees, who say, Peter, does your teacher pay the temple tax? Now, I'm not sure this would have been a normal point of conversation in first century Israel. So we kind of have to assume that the motive behind the question was the Pharisees looking to hang Jesus out to dry. And predictably, good old Peter responds without hesitation saying, yep, yep, he sure does. And then he ducks into the house to avoid any further dialogue with them. But here's the thing. We don't really know if Peter knew whether Jesus paid that tax or not. We could assume that Peter would have thought it unnecessary, one, because he believed Jesus was the Messiah, pretty good reason not to pay your taxes. And two, because the teachers of the law or rabbis, of which Peter would have certainly classified Jesus, those guys were exempt from paying this tax that paid for the maintenance and upkeep of the temple. So Peter enters the house and he encounters Jesus, who of course is well aware of what's transpired on the other side of the door. And Jesus greets him by saying, well, what do you think, Peter? Should the son of God be responsible to pay this tariff? I think the ridiculousness of Jesus' question might've been his point. Of course, God himself should not be taxed on his own house of worship. So I wonder, Jesus, why did you not stop there and let Peter get all fired up about the injustice of all this? But instead he continues by saying, you know what, Pete, this really isn't worth getting into an argument over. This is not our hill to die on. We have far more important things to stand up for and to dispute, things that matter so much more. And then in an effort to live beyond reproach, Jesus tells Peter to head down to the lake and to cast his line. And in the mouth of the very first fish he will catch, he'll find the exact coins he needs to pay the temple tax, both for himself and for Peter. What's always amazed me about this story is that we don't really know if this all ended up happening Matthew doesn't tell us exactly how Peter responded or how it all shook out. And so I have to wonder if the point of this account is not just the recording of another of Jesus's miracles, rather it was an opportunity for Jesus to remind Peter that not every battle is worth fighting. That while there will most certainly be times when we should refute what is wrong and unjust in the world, times when we should stand up against corrupt and unreasonable leaders, there will also be times that we need to choose carefully, where we need to invest ourselves wisely for the sake of the greater kingdom. Now, I wanna be clear, this is not a call for us to gloss over gross earthly injustices or to overlook obvious wrongs needing our involvement to right. When we are confronted with matters that we know are not of God, we should stand up for justice. Specifically, when we are presented with an opportunity to speak up for those who themselves do not have a voice. But we also need to be able to recognize when we should submit and move on, even in situations where we may disagree, specifically with those in authority, or at times when we could make a perfectly justifiable counter argument because there are simply some things more important to invest ourselves in. Purposes greater to be a part of of correcting than just being right. (sighs) Big deep breath. So assuming you're still with me, then you might be asking, okay, so then what happens when we do believe we have a righteous reason to resist and speak up? When authorities are leading in a way we believe is unjust, what role does submission then play in our journey as Christ followers? And again, I believe that in Peter's life and journey with Christ, We are reminded that while there are right and righteous reasons to protest and and resist corrupt authorities and laws, we have to do so in a way that aligns with our identity as Christ followers. In other words, how we engage in resistance is in and of itself a form of submission. So you'll recall the story following the Last Supper where Jesus encounters the Roman guard in the the Grove of Olives. They have come to arrest him. And in protest of this situation, Peter, who has every righteous intent, goes on the defense and likely as instinct, he draws his sword and attacks the arresting officer, slashing off his ear. In this deeply tense moment and interaction with the powers that be, Jesus teaches Peter, That submission is that which responds, not reacts. Peter was justified in his his actions, in his desire to protect Jesus, to be sure. Certainly his cause was righteous and just. Jesus was innocent by all accounts. So yes, Peter, this is a cause we're taking up to be sure. But in defaulting to the culturally conditioned way of reacting, violence. Peter's resistance was not in accordance with the will and ways of God. He wasn't responding in a manner that represented his identity as a Christ follower. Listen, I don't want to diminish in any way the reality of trauma that is experienced even second or third hand in oppressive situations nor would I ever suggest that there cannot be deep-seated emotion and pain involved in a godly response to injustice. I think Peter's reaction in this situation was driven out of fear and his protective instincts just went into high gear. Again, he was justified in his intent and in his passion. This is how we as human beings have been created. We feel things we experience deeply embedded emotions, specifically in high intensity situations. And so I have all the empathy in the world for when you get yourself in one of these situations, emotions are very, very hard to control. But I'm comforted in this story because I realize that just as Jesus was there to correct Peter's reaction and redirect his righteous indignation and fear, so we have been gifted with the Holy Spirit. And in the Spirit's power, we are capable of responding to even the greatest injustices in our world in a right manner that aligns us with the heart and will of God. Scott McKnight writes that true members of the covenant know that their ultimate allegiance is only to God. While submission to the state or to others is required, it's not the relationship that ultimately sustains and protects them. I think this is the truth that Peter was attempting to pass along to his brothers and sisters in Rome. He was reminding them that by the power of the Holy Spirit, they would be known in their response, even if in protest or in disagreement with the powers at B. Certainly there are times to defy earthly authorities, but always in a manner which submits and aligns our earthly and fleshly responses with our identity as Christians. So while we are under very different contextual circumstances today, I wonder if many of us are feeling a somewhat similar sense of dissonance or righteous indignation lately. And we ask ourselves, how do we as committed Christians, when we are faced daily with corrupt leaders and structural injustices, neighbors and coworkers who are only looking out for themselves, systems and organizations designed to value only those who will do and say whatever they need to advance themselves, how are we to live? What does submission look like in our Christian journeys when this is our reality? Well, Peter tells the church at Rome that their submissive responses to the authorities of the day will be countercultural, that they will be unified in thought, sympathetic and loving, tender hearted and humble. And he knows this will be difficult given the cultural context because he goes on to say, Don't repay evil with evil. Don't retaliate with insults when you're insulted. Bless those who hurt you because this is the way of Christ. Folks, if our response as believers doesn't look any different than the actions, words and deeds of our oppressors, if we don't submit ourselves to a different way, then what is our distinctive as Christ followers? I think where I've landed is that submission is one of the most difficult callings we have as believers especially when we are surrounded by those who don't value what we value and who don't understand the ways of Christ and the truths of the kingdom of God. But a huge part of our witness and calling as Christ followers is to seek God's wisdom, to ask God to help us know how to live out submission that he has called us to. And in so doing, pray and ask God to help us demonstrate the priorities and the values that we proclaim as followers of Jesus Christ over any realities of this world. This is a lot to consider and to wrestle down, I know. But as you reflect on this difficult teaching in your homes and with your immediate communities, I want to encourage you to ask yourself some tough questions, some questions of reflection. First, when has been a time where you've experienced great struggle or hardship, only later to understand where God was at work in the midst of that difficulty? How did your willingness or your unwillingness to submit to what was happening in that season allow you to later see God at work from that whole episode or experience? Tell somebody about it. Secondly, how do you know the difference between a situation that just bothers you and one that is truly an injustice demanding action. Be specific in defining distinctives that differentiate the two and that help you know when to obey and then when to civilly disobey. This is an important differentiation. And finally, what's an example of a time when you've seen a fellow leader defy or resist earthly authority but in a way that demonstrated their Christian identity well? For that matter, when is a time where you've seen Christians rise up for just reasons, but do so in a way that ultimately denied their primary identity as a Christ follower? While submission to one another and to our earthly authorities are difficult things for us to consider in these trying days. It is my prayer that we would recognize the potential that is here for God to shape and form us into his likeness as we willingly submit ourselves to his ultimate authority in our lives. So with that, can I pray for us? God, this is a hard, hard teaching and we're left to ask who can understand it. But while we struggle with these things, While we struggle to understand how you could choose to form us in the difficult things of life, we pray that you would continue to open our hearts and our minds to your activity in and around us in whatever form that might take. Help us to submit ourselves each and every day anew, first and foremost to you, our King, and then to the processes you will use to shape and form us into your image. Empower us, God, to trust you, to know when to act and when to be silent and ways to respond that represent you to a world that so desperately needs your salvation. We ask these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.